0: Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. We are continuing through our study of the book of Acts, and if you uh, would like to have the study guide, we've got printed copies for you. They are at the resource table right there with Tony Tevis. hold him up, thank you Tony. You can go grab one. We also have PDFs at the website that you can download. But everybody that wants a printed copy, we want you to grab one of those study guides. We're going through the Book of Acts. And uh, I'm excited. It's it's one of my favorite books. And it shows us a picture of the early church as, uh, as it, it comes to life. At the Festival of Pentecost, the Spirit comes, and then it moves out. Uh, and lots and lots of people hear about Jesus, and it goes all the way to East Tennessee. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, because of what happened in the book of Acts. And we're going to be in chapter 2 at the very end of chapter 2 today. And I've asked Allie Anderson to come up, and uh, she's going to read our scripture for today. So if you would, turn to your, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Allie's going to be reading that for us. And by the way, if you don't know, this is Allie Anderson um, who's part of our church. Also, she's, uh, she's full-time with The Well, a co- another college ministry, and, uh, and she's finishing up her seminary uh, studies right now, and as part of her studies, they actually asked her to come and, and do some projects at her local church, and so she's working with us on a big outreach project to downtown, which you're going to be hearing more about what that looks like over the coming months. We're excited, and we appreciate you, Allie, stepping up Uh, in doing that so she's got the scripture for us today let's listen together to the word of God this is Acts chapter 2 verses 41 to the end it's right after Peter has preached his first sermon and thousands of people responded and came to know Jesus and then this is what those people did
1: So if you'll follow along with me or listen to this description of what some of these first people who knew and followed Jesus would be like in their time together. So starting in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Thank you for your word, and thank you for this picture. Um, a picture of instruction of how we are to follow you and what we're to do, but more a picture of hope, of, mm. of the beauty of people who know you coming together. Um, just to imagine what it would be like for nobody to have need because of having generous hearts is is really beautiful. So thank you for this um, picture to run after as a church. I pray these things would be true of us as we grow and work and strain to follow you more. Um, I pray that these things would be an overflow of love for you. That we would mm. be challenged in your word, and pray that you would just help Bill really make clear where the mm. Holy Spirit would would lead us and direct us through the Scripture. Mm. Um, we trust you to move us closer to these things, to this picture, every day. Pray for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Allie. What a picture. Acts 2, the very last part of this. What a picture of the people of God, of the early church. I love this. Um, if you ask me if I could only preach one sermon in my life, it would probably be from this passage of Scripture. It shows us that the local church, when it's centered around Jesus, is the hope of the world. When a local church is centered around Jesus... It is the hope of the world. And if you're brand new here at Redeemer and you're looking at our seating arrangement and you're like, this is the weirdest church setup I've ever seen, uh, one of the reasons we do this in the round is because we want to emphasize that Jesus is at the center. Jesus is at the center. And so uh, that's a, you physically, I, I hope, will experience that, that Jesus is at the center. Because when a local church is centered around Jesus, it becomes the hope Of the world. And that's the picture that we see in this passage in the book of Acts. And so we're just going to unpack this. We're going to walk right through it today. And as we do that, I want you to think about a couple things. One of them is what is Jesus's primary mission? What is Jesus all about? And I think as you look at this passage and as you look at the Bible, you see that the number one thing that Jesus cares about is establishing and sustaining healthy local churches. That that's what Jesus cares about. Now, Bill, how do you back back that up? That's a pretty bold statement. Well, when you read through the book of Acts, you see time and time again that it talks about how the message of Jesus went out and how people received it, believed it, and were brought in, and they were formed into local churches. That's what Paul's missionary journeys were all about, was seeing local churches established all over the place. Also, though, when you look at uh, the book of Revelation and you see Jesus come and speak to the apostle John, what's he talk to him about? Local churches. That's what Jesus has. That's what's at the forefront of his thoughts. He speaks to John about the local churches that John was connected to. So I believe that Jesus is one of his primary missions and one of the things that he cares most about is establishing healthy local churches. And if that's true, then one of the most important decisions that you make is how you will relate to a local church. If it's at the forefront of what Jesus cares about, then for us, one of the most important decisions is how do we relate to a local church? And there's, there's lots of different ways that you could relate to a local church. Uh, probably the most common is to relate as a consumer because that's what our culture is Programmed us to interact with the world uh, through that lens as a consumer. And so we come to church and we would say, Ah, uh, yeah, I, I don't like. there wasn't enough lighting over here. The, the music didn't sound just right. Needed a little bit more bass. Could you fix that, Jim? Uh, and the, the coffee was a little cold. And where's my croissant? That's a consumer mentality. And if you were here uh, several weeks ago, our lead pastor, Jeff Martin, repented standing right here, of, of allowing us to drift towards that. And it's a big problem for us to become consumer, consumer mentality in, in our approach to, to being part of a church. And, and so we're we're challenging that. And this passage today shows us something so much better than being a consumer. Not only could you approach this as a consumer, you could, you could approach church as a, a DIY, do-it-yourself kind of person. And you could say, you know what, I'm just going to Make it up, and uh, I'll go for a walk in the woods, and that's my church. That's what Emily Dickinson said. Or you might say I'm going to meet up with somebody at Starbucks, and we'll we'll read a book together, and that's my church. Doesn't it say wherever two or three are gathered that He's in their midst? Yes, it does say that. But if you actually go and read that chapter of the Bible, it's all about being part of a larger church, not just two or three. So read your Bible; it'll help you with those kinds of things. There's consumer Christians, there's DIY Christians, and there are also de churched folk. And that would be hey, man, I've been in church and I got really burned. I was deeply hurt. And I was betrayed. And I'm, I, I just, it, it, my, my, my eyes twitch when I, I think about going to church. And it might be a big deal that you're even sitting in this room today. And I want to say, welcome. We're glad that you are here. Because the reality is you get hurt in community you also get healed in community. And you may have had some terrible experiences. I personally have. (laughs) It's a rough church experiences. But I've also experienced the most profound healing and connection to Jesus by continuing to be part of the local church and continuing to be part of a local church that is centering itself on Jesus. So I'm not sure where you're at, but as we look at this passage together today, it's going to give us an incredible picture of what it looks like to be a local church. And and I think that uh, it's going to challenge us as consumers, as DIYs, and even as de-churched folks as we look at what the early church was devoted to. And the beautiful thing that you're going to see is really everything that they were devoted to, it all goes back to Jesus. Everything that they were devoted to. So let's look at the passage once again. Look at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves that means they were full on this was the focus of their life this is what they cared deeply about they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers let's look at that one more time they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers we're going to unpack each of those ideas And as we do, what I love about this is that the reason they were devoting themselves to these things is because the Spirit had come in a powerful way to give birth to the church. And these people were, it was fresh for them. It's such a beautiful moment in your life when the Spirit comes in and you're like, oh, this is great. And they were devoting themselves to these things under the leadership of these men who had walked with Jesus, these apostles that are devoting themselves to their teaching. And I love this because I know that the Spirit of God is already drawing you to be devoted to these things. And for me, my job today is just to say, here they are. Remember these things? Come on, let's go. This is what the Spirit of God is already calling you to. We can see it here in the Word of God. And I love that. So you're going to you're to feel that, that calling and that encouragement. And one of the things that I can help today with is just to talk about, well, how do we get distracted from these things? Instead of being devoted to them, we get distracted. How do these things get distorted? And, and, that, and that affects our devotion. So let's look at the first one. It says, what were they devoted to? It says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. These people loved the Bible, They loved it. They they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. What were the apostles' teaching? They were teaching everything that Jesus had taught them over the last three years as he was walking on earth and over the last 40 days as he was resurrected and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And so their devotion to the apostles' teaching was really a devotion to Jesus and his teaching, because Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom, uh, and, and it's interesting, when he was resurrected, he met two guys on the road to Emmaus, and it says he opened up the whole scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, and showed them how all of those scriptures pointed to him, and they said later, weren't our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures? This whole book, if you want to know how to read this Bible, Read it in light of this truth that it's one coherent story and everything points to Jesus. And so when the early church devoted itself to the apostles' teachings, they were really devoting themselves to Jesus' teachings. Now, there's all sorts of ways that you can get distracted or you can get distorted in your view of the Bible. There's lots of different ways. Um, Some of you say, well, I I saw that Da Vinci Code documentary. Uh, and they really called a lot of things into question for me. That was not a documentary, okay? That was a movie with Tom Hanks in it. It was not a documentary, and very little of that has any basis on reality. One of the things that's wonderful about the Bible is that it is, uh, we have so many manuscripts from when it was first written that the best best scholars would say, this is what was written at the very beginning. You have a reliable uh, copy of that information, of those stories. Um, archaeology bears out the truth that's in the Bible, and there's, it's filled with incredible prophecies, many of which have, have been fulfilled in stunning ways. And everything that's in here, there's nothing in here that's going to ultimately contradict any scientific discovery, anything that's truth. It's not going to get contradicted by God's Word. As it, it usually has to do with either where we don't really understand maybe one part of the Bible, or we're still figuring something out with science, but ultimately, no truth is going to contradict any other truth. So this is a reliable place for us to go. Um, when, I was, when I first became a Christian, that, that was one of the questions I had to wrestle with is, well, what am I going to think about the Bible? And I was sitting in, uh, in uh, geometry class, and, the, and this thought came and said, you know what, I believe that God made the universe. If he could make the universe, I think he could get the book right. Right? Right? if you believe he could make the universe, he can probably get the book right. You can trust it. Here's something else for you to chew on. How did Jesus think about the Bible? Jesus had a really high view of scripture. He said, and he, he's talking about the Old Testament, he said it can't be broken. You can't take out a punctuation mark. You can't change a verb tense because you can build a doctrine of the resurrection just on the tense of a verb. Jesus had a high view of the Bible and so I would encourage you, if that's all you said is like, I just want to look at the Bible the way Jesus did, you're going to be okay. And Jesus believed that this was the place where we could go for life. So if that's what it is, what are the implications for, for God's word in our lives? It says, um, in the Psalms, it says, Your word is a light unto my path, a, a lamp to my feet. If the word of God isn't in your life, you're going to be stumbling in darkness. Jesus' first followers, when they were given a chance to just hit a jack, they said, Where else can we go? Because you have the words of life. In Psalm 119, one of my favorite passages, David prays, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Why would you want to settle for anything less? Open up this book and pray that prayer, and the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and show you wondrous things out of this law that bring us to life. So, uh, so that's the first thing that they were devoted to. Now, what could it look like for us to be devoted to the apostles' teachings? Number one, I would say prioritizing the time that you spend reading scripture. simple. Prioritize that time. If you need a plan, and if you've never read through the Bible, I met with this guy last week, uh, and he was telling me, "Man, I'm reading through the whole Bible," and I was like, "Yes, do it. You can do it. Uh, Come up. I'm happy to help you. Give you some ideas. But take that time. Make that a priority in your life to read through the whole Bible." Second thing I'd say was, if you don't have a good study Bible, that will help you understand and get the context for what you're reading because it is, you know, all written thousands of years ago. Grab a great study Bible. I love the ESV study Bible. That's a good one. Um, when I was, first became a Christian, this older couple uh, came over to me and they took me out to eat. And, and they just said, Man, we're so glad that God has grabbed a hold of you. And they gave me, it was the NIV study Bible. And, and it had a maroon Bible case, because that's what everybody had back then, <laughs> uh, that zippered around it. And they gave me this study Bible, and man, it was such a—it was so nourishing to be able to read the Bible and then read some thoughts that helped me understand what I was reading. And they, they did that for me. So grab a study Bible. Third thing I would say would be, uh, if it's not been your habit, or maybe you've kind of pulled back on memorizing Scripture, take some time. And... Take the word of God and get it from your head and down into your heart and memorize scripture. What did Jesus do when he faced off against Satan? He fought back with scripture. Paul says that it's the sword of the spirit. You are in a spiritual battle. Don't, don't say, oh, I just need to read the Bible more. I got to try harder. That's not actually what you need to repent of or what you need to change your mind about. What you should change your mind about is to recognize you are in a spiritual battle. Don't lay down your sword. Pick it up. Pick it up. Know uh, God's word. Uh, the last thing I'd say is practical would be when you're hanging out with folks, ask them about what God is teaching them through his word. I love this. Um, Lindsay and I, we did a, a, date, uh, a lunch date this week, and, and we were hanging out. And Lindsay's so good about this. She, she'll ask me, she'll say, What's your reading? And she means in the Bible. (laughs) And we'll talk about what God is teaching us through his word, how he's changing us through his word. And so if that's not maybe a habit for you, develop that. And so in community with other people, talking about God's word, asking those questions, and you'll see Jesus do good things as he leads you through that. The local church, when it's centered on Jesus, is the hope of the world. Part of being centered on Jesus is being centered on his word. What's the next thing it says? It says they were centered on the apostles' teachings. And then it goes on, and it says that they were centered or devoted to the fellowship. Uh Uh-oh, that's a churchy word. What in the world does that mean? The fellowship. I don't think you use that in maybe any other context. What does that mean? It's a Greek word, koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Koinonia. Weird. Not a fish. (laughs) But it means sharing. It means life together. And it it reminds me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's famous book called Life Together. And it says they were devoted to life together. Where did they get that from? They got it from Jesus. Because that's how Jesus did what he did, was he invited people into life together. That's what he did with those men and women that followed him for those first three years. He invited them into life together with him, and it was transforming. But here's the thing. We're coming off of a year that has divided, that has isolated, that has disrupted our life together more than any other year that any of us probably can remember. And so there is a, so, and we're all still, some of us are still reeling from that. Some of us are still experiencing a lot of isolation. Here's the scripture calling us to life together, calling us back to life together, where this has been a, a year of, of confusion and chaos, that here's this thing that's calling us back to community together, we're better together. We were made to be together. God himself is a community Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are meant to be part of that community, part of that, to be a family together. We're not meant to make it on our own. So we're called into that community. They were devoted to the life together. They gathered, uh, often they gathered in large groups, they gathered in small groups, they shared everything in common, not communism, people still kept stuff and later they they, they did what they wanted to with it, Uh, but they cared deeply for each other. They shared life together. And it was an incredible picture, but in order for us to to face the challenge of COVID and everything in this last year, this is one of the things I really, that's very uh, apropos for our time right now, is I want to challenge you. I'm going to call you to be, to have courage in reconnecting to community if you've been disconnected, and I want to challenge you to have creativity in how you get connected with other people. I know there's people with all kinds of different kinds of concerns and they say, well, I can't do this, or we got to wear masks, or we got to be outside. That's fine. Don't let that keep you out of community, but pursue it because we were made for it. So be courageous, be creative, and then be consistent in your pursuit of doing life with people. That that's something that we see in the early church, is something that we're called to. And, um, and so we respond that way. And the local church becomes the hope of the world. Because this entire planet is filled with people who are isolated, disconnected, waiting, looking, hoping for someone that can bring them into something so much better, which is what Jesus gives to us. What's the next thing that we're devoted to? Check it out. Look back at the scripture. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Who likes to eat? You're like, yeah, Bill, I do like to eat. Can you wrap this sermon up? All right, <laughs> we got a mainstream pizza smells really good, okay? Jesus loved to eat. Where, how, these folks devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Why? Because Jesus taught them that. Because he broke bread with lots of people all the time. In fact, it was such an important rhythm for him that the last thing he did before he went to the cross was invite his closest friends to share a meal with him. And then when he says, when I make all things new, you know what we're going to do together? We're going to sit down at a table and feast together. Jesus loves eating with all kinds of people. And and when I think about that, and I read about that, I think about being back in high school and going through the line in the cafeteria, and then you come out into the main part of the cafeteria, and you look around. Where am I going to (laughs) sit? Who am I going to go find a spot with? Especially if like, you're brand new at that school and, you're, and you feel pretty awkward. And you're like, uh, I got the, the jocks over here and the band folks and the computer guys and the anime people and all these other different groups. And you're like, well, who am I going to sit with? You guys know this. And then what if you looked at one table and, there, and there's like, who's that guy? He looks kind of Middle Eastern. Uh, he's wearing like a toga or something. And, and I can't tell what group he's with because there's a football player There is the the math expert. There's this guy that's got his own business already. There's this kid that can barely put his pants on straight. There's all kinds of people at his table. What's their common denominator? The common denominator in the local church is Jesus. And the more that he becomes the common denominator in the center of our church, the more eclectic we will become. You see that in heaven, it says every tribe and tongue is worshiping him. And so one of the signs that maybe Jesus isn't quite the the, the center of your life as strongly as he needs to be, maybe that all of your friends look just like you. Because Jesus had this wide, eclectic array of people that would follow him because he was the biggest common denominator. He was the, the center of their life. And when he is the center of our life, suddenly we find common ground with all sorts of people that we would never normally find common ground with. And it's one of the beautiful things that the gospel does is it breaks down all those barriers of race, of socioeconomics, you name it, and it breaks that down and brings people together together. Around the table with Jesus. So here's some things that you could do in following the Spirit's lead to devote yourselves to breaking bread. Number one, go out to eat today. All the restaurant owners were like, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Go out to eat today and invite somebody to come with you. Invite someone in this room or call somebody and invite them to come with you. And I would challenge you, try to eat once a week, have a meal with some other Christians. Talk about what God's teaching you as you sit around the table. Number two, reach out to somebody that doesn't know Jesus or that is far from God and say, hey, let's grab something to eat. Let's get a cup of coffee. Let's do something together. Reach out to them. That's what Jesus did. And as we center ourselves around him, then we find the spirit leading us to do the same thing. And we find ourselves becoming the hope of the world. What's the last thing that it talks about them being devoted to? you look there in, in the passage it says they devoted themselves to the prayers that's how they started when Jesus was getting ready to ascend he said go and wait for me in Jerusalem wait for me pray until I send the spirit and so they did they went for 10 days 120 of them met in an upper room and they prayed and they waited and then the spirit came prayer has always been at the very heart of a healthy church It's at the very heart of a healthy discipleship to Jesus. Think about the disciples only ever asked Jesus to teach them to do one thing. They said, can you teach us to pray? They they were hanging out with him and and they said, we hear you pray, man, can you teach us to pray? So if you're like, I I don't know how to pray, I feel like that's such a weak area of my life, that's okay, you can come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you teach me to pray? And he will. He'll teach you to pray. That's what this early church was doing as they were waiting on Jesus, and then the Spirit came, and things began to come alive. So the devotion to prayer is—it is a challenge, and I think some of the reasons why. And what I don't want you to do is say, "Oh, I just need to try to pray harder." I really—I you know, know that's an important thing to be a Christian. You ought to pray. Uh, that's not what you need to repent of. The reason you don't pray is because you think that you can make it on your own. That's the real reason that you don't pray. It's because you think you've got this. Because you know those times in your life when everything has hit the fan and it's totally falling apart, and then what did you do? You prayed at that moment. Don't wait for those moments. Recognize right now that you don't have it all together, that you can't make it on your own, that you need Jesus. And that, and when you have that recognition, then prayer starts to become a whole different part of your life when you realize that. And so that's what we could repent of is, man, I, I think I've got this, and I really don't. I'll tell you the other thing that this will help you. You may have a wrong idea of prayer of that. It's got to be very solemn and formal, and you've got to have fancy words, and you're going to have this, uh, you know, like, Dear Lord, oh great God, our Father in heaven, almighty With your angels fluttering around you please be with aunt brenda's big toe and her dog with its constipation and you pray in a weird way about weird things and no wonder you don't you don't ever want to do that again when jesus went to the temple he saw that they had turned it into a marketplace and he fashioned a whip and he cracked it, and he flipped tables, and he said, you've made my father's house into a a den of thieves, into a marketplace. Instead, it should be a house of, what? It should be a house of, yeah, that's a great line. He was quoting it from Isaiah. And in Isaiah, it says, the Lord says, I will bring all people to my house of prayer, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. And I want to tell you something, my last name is Bill Jolly, and if you got nothing else out of this sermon that you would be jolly when you pray, it'd change your life. All right? It would change your life because that's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to make you joyful in my house of prayer. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so prayer is meant to be this place where you come and we experience an infusion of the Lord's presence. And you know what else it says about Jesus in the Psalms? It says that he was anointed with the oil of joy, or the oil of gladness, above everyone else. That means that Jesus is the happiest guy in the universe. And when you're in his presence, when you're centered on him, you can't help but get a little joy going on. So look at the early church as they look to Jesus And they find such great joy in coming together and pray. And let that lead us. Now, personally, there's your personal time of coming to the Lord. Did you know when you listen to a great worship song and you sing along, you are praying? That counts. All right, I can sign up for that. I can do that. In fact, St. Augustine said, he who sings prays twice as well as somebody else. That's a cool thing. So do that. That's a way to grow in your prayer life and your communion with God. Just put on a song that you can sing along with. And you'll find yourself growing in communion with God. What does it look like for us as a body? When there is a call to corporate prayer, don't treat it as optional. Realize this is strategic. This is important. This is what we were... This is an integral to what it means to be a church and to see God's kingdom come. I'll tell you a story Uh, about uh, eight months ago, nine months ago, as the pandemic was spreading, as racial unrest was broiling over... Some leaders here in our city, Aaron Murphy, who's a leader over Good Samaritan, he's also a pastor, uh, and some other leaders said, we need to pray. The people of God need to come and pray. And they started a prayer meeting over at the Farmer's Market Pavilion. And since that day, which is over, I think over 250 days ago, there has been someone praying in the heart of our city, that's like a couple blocks that way, for over 250 days Somebody has been praying every single day for God's kingdom to come, praying over the city. And as a church, Redeemer, we have um, heard that call. And we have a, we've said, you know what? We're going to take one of those nights, the first Friday of each month for the next year, for this year, and we're going to gather together there and pray. And so I want to call you. As you think about the early church's devotion to prayer, I want to call you to join us and pray together. Corporate prayer is an essential part of how we can be a church that's centered on Jesus. And so come with us and pray. And we'll see how the hope of the world is, uh, is revealed here in our city. Um, we're also, we've got some, uh, some other things that are going to come up. We're going to be having some prayer meetings here in this, this space that we'll tell you about. We're also going to spend some time prayer walking through the streets of downtown. We're going to do those things because that's what we do. That's what we do. Let me give you one last thought on prayer. When you're spending time with another Christian and you're asking about how their life is going, one of the questions to ask them is, how can I pray for you? Put If that's not already in kind of one of your go-to conversation pieces, ask them, how can I pray for you? And then as they share about that, the next question is, because they'll they'll tell you, and then you could say, okay, great, I'll remember that, I'll pray for you. You won't. (laughs) You'll forget, more than likely. So what I would encourage you to do is actually to say, can we pray right now? If you're taking notes, that would be one to write down, because the kingdom of God will show up if you'll ask that question, and then take a moment and pray with that person. Can we pray right now? It is powerful to be right there with another human being, turning your eyes to Jesus, talking to Him, asking Him for His grace and His mercy in someone else's life. Because you know there are people that you spend time with that nobody has prayed for them? Ever? Or maybe in years? And maybe they've not, they've not prayed in months and months? And if you can be a catalyst... For them to pray and open their mouth, talk to God, if you can be the person that prays with them, heaven will show up. God shows up when we pray. I love it. What resulted from the devotion of this early church? We'll finish with the rest of this look just looking at the passage. This is what happened as they centered themselves around Jesus. Check it out. Awe came upon every soul. God is here. God is doing something. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There were miracles happening. We welcome that. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They weren't selfish. They were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Again, this is not a plug for communism. People still held on to things, but they were very generous is what was happening. And then it says, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They were were eating together. They were also taking communion together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. What if that was a description of Redeemer? You know those people at Redeemer? They have glad. They're so happy. They've got some, some kind of joy. And they're so generous. Stuff isn't the most important thing to them. And look what it says in verse 47. Praising God. That was another characteristic. We're going to get up here and sing in just a little bit uh, for the response time of our service, and I want to encourage you to sing. Sing Sing to the Lord. Not for other people. Sing to the Lord as we respond to what he does. It says they praised God. They had favor with all the people. And then look at this. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why does Jesus, what is he doing with his people? What is, as we center ourselves on him, what is he doing? Why did he endure the shame of the cross? It says it's for the joy set before him. What was that joy? You and your neighbor and people all around this planet. That's the joy set before him. And it says they were being added to the church. Jesus died for local churches, for you and me, and for those that don't know him yet so that they could come to know him and be part of this family with us. That's what he is all about, and that's the call to us as we center ourselves around him today. Here's the last way that we're going to do it. As you came in, you got a little cup that has some juice in it, and there's a cracker along with it. A little communion packet. We do this every week. If you're brand new here at Redeemer, every week we take communion together. We break bread. It's a tiny little weird piece of bread, I know. But it symbolizes something so incredible. And as we break this bread today, and as we take this cup today, it's a time for us to center ourselves on Jesus, to remember what he did. This this bread and this cup represent Jesus' death in your place. The good news is you don't have to do enough good things to get to Jesus. He's already done the good thing to get to you. Religion is you trying to climb the ladder and behave yourself well enough to get to heaven. The message of Jesus is that he came down and that he lived a perfect life. The one that you could never live, and that He offers you His grace. And as you take this bread and this cup this morning, that you would experience the grace of God, the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. It is life giving, it's a time to recenter. As you've heard about the early church this morning, and you've sensed the spirit of, highlighting different things and calling you devote yourself to the apostles teaching devote yourself to breaking bread devote yourself to life together devote yourself to prayer they're all ultimately a call to jesus he says come to me all you who are weary all you who are burned out on religion come to me i'll give you rest Take my yoke upon you. I'll never lay anything ill-fitting on your shoulders. Come with me, and I'll teach you how to live freely and lightly in the unforced rhythms of grace. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. You are Savior Jesus. And we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would take this bread and this cup, and that you would remind us of your great sacrifice, that you are Savior, and that we are called to you to center our lives on you. Lord, help us where we have not been centered around you. Help us to recognize idols distractions and distortions help us see them turn from them put them away and turn to you the author of hope and life our gracious good kind Savior let us come to you Lord draw us Draw us, Jesus. And as you're ready, folks, take the cup, take the bread, and remember Jesus. thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com